you know that's honest and real and not not easy to get on a camera and admit your mistakes amen but look at the person next to you and tell you God is real amen and he loves you this morning and I want you to know that he has a plan like Jesse said at prayer for your life and his ultimate goal is for you to have a testimony amen for it to be not about what you've done but what God has done in your life and how he can turn things around this place is full of people this morning that God has already turned around or he's turning around or he's about to turn around. Amen. If you just let him, he'll change your life and he'll give you the best life you've ever had. Amen. And, and it'll be in him. But I want to show you this morning through his word how to do that. And don't forget if you are, have a teenager that uh, you want to go to camp that they, you can find those youth leaders and get them registered. It's a life changing week. Amen. And it's coming up soon. I want to talk this morning about burning your bridges and having no plan B. Let me know what the word having a plan B means. It means you've got another option, you've got a backup plan, you've got something that you're going to do and things that you want don't work out. And I want to talk to you this morning, we've been talking for the last few weeks on discipleship on Wednesday nights. If you don't come on Wednesday, I want to put a plug in here. I want to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. I know some people work, I know some people can't get here. But Wednesday nights is a, just like a Sunday morning service. It's a full-blown service. And uh, it really helps you get from Sunday to Sunday. And uh, we've been talking the last few weeks. We're in a series right now about being a disciple and making disciples. And if you don't know what that is, then that's why we want you to come. Because God wants all of us to be disciples. And this is what this first verse is going to talk about in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. I want to show you some things in the Word of God that is real for us today and the call the truth is that every single one of us here whether you believe it or not God wants you to be his child he wants you to be fulfilled he wants you to be happy and he wants to, you to spend eternity in heaven with him that is his goal for you whether you believe it or not whether you know it or not and his plan is big he has big plans for you you might think I don't have any talent I don't have any ability what could God ever do with me but he has plans for you, and he has great plans. But he also has great expectations. And Jesus says in this verse, in Matthew chapter 16, he says, if any of, he says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. How many know that's not popular words? Everybody in here has ways we want to live and ways we want to do things. And I'm just going to throw this out there. That's why we have such messed up lives. Can I get a better amen? amen? When we do things our way, according to the way we think they should be done, and we have a God who has a way that they should be done, and we do them our way, we're going to have problems and struggles. And we have a void in our heart this morning. The Bible tells us we have a void right here in our spiritual heart that can only be filled by God. And what we do, though, is we fill it with all kinds of other things. We fill it with drugs. We fill it with alcohol. We fill it with relationships. We fill it with careers. We fill it with money. We fill it with all kinds of things. And God's the only one that can fill that void. Amen? And so when he says, I want you to stop doing things your way, give up your own way, take up your cross, and then he says, follow me. So I, I said this kind of at the end of the first service, and I'm going to throw it out kind of as a disclaimer in the second service. I like that Jesus is honest with us. And he doesn't come across and say, hey, I'm, I've got all these. Let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say. How many have ever seen uh, any kind of sales pitch? 
Any kind of sales pitch is going to tell you all the benefits of what they want to sell you, but they're not going to tell you the cost. They're going to tell you about this vacuum cleaner to do all this stuff, or this car that can do all this stuff, or the ab machine at 3 o'clock in the morning that can <laughs> give you abs by putting something mechanical on your stomach. Uh, maybe that was just me. I, I saw that. Hey, no one else saw that. Amen? I didn't buy it, though. But all these things are promised, and then they say at the very end, the cost. They promise you the heavens and the scars and the sky and everything, but then they give you the cost after. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the cost first. The promises are coming, but I just want you to know that if you want to follow me, it's, it's a narrow road. And I want you to stop doing things your way. And if you'll trust me, like Brian said at the offering, if you'll trust me to do things my way, I'll show you things you've never even imagined. And I want you to know that that is God's plan for you. Now let's look at Mark chapter 10. Verse 17 to 22, New Living Translation. Jesus starting out on his way to Jerusalem, and a man came running to him. Now I want, you to, I want to break this down a little bit and notice some things. A man came running to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, and I want you to leave this verse up, please. Good teacher, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? Look at these words. There's so much here to look at. First of all, Jesus is walking. And as he's walking, a man, we don't know who he is yet, comes running to him. How many know whenever we run, there's urgency? This man is not walking up slowly. He's running to this man, who is Jesus. And then it says, he kneels down to him. So he knows that this man is royalty. He knows that Jesus is a king. Whenever you bow to somebody, there's a respect there. There's an authority there. And so he kneels down. He runs to him. He's in a hurry. He's, he has an urgency. And his question is, the best question you could ever ask, and it's the most important question we can have in this. If you were to come to me this morning and say, what's the most important thing we could talk about today? I would tell you this answer right here. Where are you going to spend eternity? I, you're going to be hard-pressed to find anything more important than that. Anything. There's, there's no greater question and there's no greater thing we should be thinking about than where we're going to spend eternity, which is forever. This life is like that. If we were, this is faster than what our life looks like in eternity. It's a vapor. It's a blink of an eye. It's gone here and gone the next day. Quickly, it's gone. And it's when that happens, all of a sudden, we're standing before a holy God in eternity. So this man is on a roll. He is running. He's urgent. He sees Jesus as king, and he asks a good, very good question. Very good question. So he's 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 three for three. He's on a roll. He's, he's going the right way. So Jesus answers him. Watch what Jesus says. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Now, don't get this misunderstood. He, Jesus is God, but he is in human form on the earth, and he is putting all glory up to the Lord. That's why he says, don't call me good. Only God is truly good, although Jesus was God. He says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your mother and father. Just leave that up for a second. And so he tells them basically the Ten Commandments. He basically says, here's, here's the things that you need to do. And this boy knows what's right and wrong. How many know we know what's right and wrong? Did you know that if you've never even heard a gospel message before, the Bible says that God's word is written on your heart? Some people say, what if they've never heard, or what if they've never been preached to, or what if, we know what's right and wrong. 
And so he tells them these things, but this wasn't just any old guy. This was a guy who knew the Word of God, and he, and he loved God, and he knew, I, I need to think about eternal life. So like I said, he's smart to be asking that question. If you're here this morning, let me do the flip side, and you're not thinking about eternity, I would call you not smart. I'm not going to call you dumb, but I'm going to call you not smart. If, you're, if you don't even think for a second about where you're going to spend eternity, if that doesn't cross your mind, then you need to, to, to wake up and start thinking about it. And so he says all those things, and then teacher, the man replies in verse 20, I've obeyed all these things since I was young. Check the box. I got that. Done. And looking at the man, this is so powerful. Jesus felt genuine love for him. Do you realize how much Jesus loves you this morning? I hope you do, but you probably can't realize how much he loves you. As he looks at this man, he knows he's about to ask him a very difficult question. He's about to check his heart, and him being God knows what his answer is going to be. He has love for him, and he's basically saying here in his heart, in his words, he's basically saying, please do the right thing. Please answer this question correctly, because he's seeing that this man has a genuine desire to go to heaven. He recognizes him as king. He has an urgency. That's why he ran. And Jesus says with genuine love, he's basically saying, please get this right. And here's what he tells him. There's still one thing you haven't done. Or in other words, there's still one area in your life that you have not done correctly. There is something in your life that is greater than me. You're bowed down before me. You're calling me king. But there's something else. And he says, go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. And I want you to remember very carefully this verse we're reading here for a, a, a story we're going to read in a second. Go and sell all the money, get your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. I mean, oh, that's a difficult thing he's asking. So difficult that here's his answer. And the man's fa face fell. And he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Here we see a man who is intently wanting to know how he can have eternal life. He stands before God, and God tells him, you need to go sell all your possessions and sell it to the poor, then come follow me, and you'll have eternal life. And this man says straight to God, money is more important than you, and money, my money is more important than my eternity. That's his answer. Now, maybe none of us would actually say that out loud. No, none of us would in our right mind, looking at it that way, do those things. But how many know we do that with our lives? We do that with so many things. And maybe here this morning, it's not money. Maybe it's something else. But whatever it is that is your problem, his problem was money because he had great wealth. Whatever your thing is, God knows it and God's going to ask you for it. He's going to ask you to sacrifice it. He's going to ask you to lay it down on an altar of sacrifice. And he's going to say, those desires you have, those things that you want, I want them because there's that void in your heart that I want to be the only one that fills. God is a jealous God. And he loves us, but he wants us to love him like he loves us. And so he's asking us this morning to not have a plan B. He's asking us to serve him all in, wholeheartedly, with nothing to go back to. And we're going to look at that a little bit right here. Because I'm going to make this statement, and I believe it. 
and all of us are included at some point or another, too many Christians have a plan B with God. They'll come to God and they'll start to feel the change. They'll start to see some fruit in their lives. They'll start to see God moving in their lives. And then all of a sudden they'll start to make some, some, some statements that maybe aren't vi- verbally out loud, but they're in our hearts. And they're like, God, I'll serve you if. But it, I'll, I'll do this, but don't ask me for that. And there's always things that we're going to say. And my question is, and this is how I had to get to myself, how can I tell God no? Who am I to tell God no? And, and I remember the day that I was at an altar in my testimony when I was pouring my heart out to God and God told me, I want your dream. I want you to stop what you want to do and I want you to give me your dreams and, and that's what I'm asking. He didn't, he didn't make a deal with me or anything. He just asked. He just said, I want you to give me your, your basketball dreams and, and that's it. And I had to make a decision. All of us this morning have to make a decision. You know what we do sometimes? We think, well, that's the pastor, or that's the evangelist, or that's that missionary. But God wants to do as much or more through you than he does through me. The only difference between me up here and you down there is that you're not answering totally the call that God's got on you because he has a call of God on you that's greater than mine. Can I get a better amen? amen? Please believe that. God has no respect of persons. He loves everybody the same. He wants everybody to do great things for him. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19. Honestly, one of the greatest stories in the Bible. And many of you have never heard it, which is good. Powerful story. Now, in the Old Testament, I didn't say this in the first service, but the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So when we look at the Old Testament and we read a story in the Bible, we're seeing it in the New Testament. The story I just read of Jesus with his disciples and Jesus with that rich man, we're going to see in this story in the Old Testament. It's called typology. And it's something that is pointing toward the future. And there's a man that we're going to talk about named Elisha and a man named Elijah. Elijah is the major prophet. He's a man of God. In this story, he would be like God. In this story, and Elisha is, or, or like Jesus, and Elisha would be the disciple. And watch what this story says. It's so Elijah, First Kings chapter nineteen, verse nineteen says, "Went and found Elisha. Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing." Now I'm going to break this down. In as I read this, okay, I'm going to go slow over this because I want to make this real to us. How many know what plowing is? Let me see your hand. How many have no clue? Well, some of you, you have to answer one or the other. So it like, no comment or what? How many know what plowing is? How many don't know what plowing is? Okay, still have some people who aren't answering. That's okay. I can't force you to answer. But how many have ever plowed? Actually got behind a plow and plowed? We had a few more in the first service. Okay? Plowing is for us today working okay back then it was it was it was tilling the ground and two oxen and plowing the ground you might might have used a different machine but it was work let's do it for us today that it was work it was it was his his livelihood it was what paid his bills it was what gave him money and provision and so he's working so how many know that's a good start amen how many know it's a good thing that we work 
And it says there were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. This tells us that Elisha was from a family of great wealth. Because to have 24 oxen means you're doing a lot of land. You have a lot of land, you have a lot of wealth. So this Bible story tells us that Elisha was very much like the rich young ruler in the New Testament. He had money and he had possessions. Came from money, came from wealth. And he's plowing with these. And then it says, Elijah went over and threw his cloak around, across, sorry, across his shoulders and then walked away. I want to leave that part up there, verse 19, for a second. Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shophat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen. And then at the end it says, he went over, threw his cloak across his shoulders and walked away. The cloak in, in New King James and King James is a mantle. It signifies the anointing. It signifies the approval. It signifies authority. It signifies a passing of the torch. Or another word is an impartation. Jesus imparted things. He gave authority to his disciples. And then they gave it to others. And that's why the gospel is here today. So he is basically passing the torch to Elisha. He takes this cloak and throws it on him. And this is what God does in the call of God with us. He throws that cloak on him and walks away. That's what God did to me at the altar when I was praying and pouring my heart to God and repenting for my sins and my, my wicked ways. And he said, I want you to follow me. I want you to preach my gospel. I want you to leave your career, your, your dreams of basketball. That's what he did to me. And then he walked away. He didn't make me do it. He just told me what he wanted me to do and walked away and left the decision with me. How many know many times we walk away from the call? He walks away to see what we'll do, and we walk away from the call. Many are called, few are chosen. It's because we walk away from it. We make the wrong decision. And church, I want to say this. When we make the wrong decision and we walk away from our call, guess what happens? People's lives are affected. Because you have a destiny, and there are people in your life that you're supposed to affect. And if you don't answer the call of God, those people will not know Jesus. Do you realize that? So he walks away. Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah. There you see the running that you see in the, Old, in the New Testament story. And says this, first, and here's what we do. First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and I'll go with you. How many know there's, in, in, in normal terms, there's nothing wrong with that? He didn't say I won't go. He said, but let me go and kiss my mother and father goodbye. So he is basically answering the call, but he's putting in some, some stipulations. Jesus in the New Testament, see the New Testament's harder. Everybody tries to say because we're in the grace age, the New Testament is easier. Let me tell you something. Jesus is more demanding than any person in this world. Do you realize that? He expects a lot because he gave a lot. That's what we've been talking about in this discipleship on Wednesdays. He expects a lot. We have, a, we have an ideology in the Christian church world or even the world that, that Jesus is just this super nice guy that walks around, and he is. He's love. And he just, he just whatever you want to do, you do. He demands things. Oh, I got quiet in here. He demands things. He demands an answer. And, and, I, and I could have done whatever I wanted. When I got up, I could have said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play basketball and be a Christian, which I could have, but I would have walked out of God's destiny for me. 
And you need to realize this morning, this is just me to you as the pastor of this church. If I would have walked away from my destiny, some of you wouldn't be here this morning. Because de- your destiny is tied to my life and my obedience. Just like everybody else has somebody tied to theirs because somebody said yes to the call of God. And so he says, let me go, let me go kiss my mother and, and, and uh, father, and then I'll go with you. And Elijah replies back, go on back, but think about what I've done to you. He actually says, go, on, go ahead, go, go say bye to your mom and dad. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. A little different. He says, let the dead bury the dead. He doesn't mean that you can't go to a funeral. Can't, not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, he says, where's your priorities? I'm calling you, if, if he's calling you now, he's calling you now. Amen? He's not saying next week or next month. How many know with God, it's now? It's now. We've got to act now. And then watch what he says. So then Elisha heard that. Something hit him. And watch what he does. This is so powerful. Elisha returned to his oxen, 24, and slaughtered them. Like, what does that mean? It means a lot. He went to his livelihood and slaughtered all the oxen. And then it says he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Here's the bulk of the message, church. Elisha answers God's call. And he says, I'm so serious about this that I'm going to go burn every bridge that is between me and my past. I'm so serious about this that I'm not, I'm not going to have a plan B. Do you realize he could have gone to his mom and dad and said, Mom and dad, I'm going to go on this trip with this man. I'm going to let God use me. They would have been like, yay, good job, son, way to go. He's, but, mom and dad, I'm going to leave my plow here. So if it doesn't work out, I can come back and get my plow and still have my business. I'm going to leave the oxen with you. You guys can use them. He didn't do that. He said, I'm so serious that I'm going to eliminate and burn the plows and burn the bridges and burn everything that has to do with my past because I am all in. It is all or nothing with God for me. Do you realize this morning, I know this is, this is tough, but that's what God's asking us for. He is asking us for all or nothing. I can back that up with Scripture, church. He says, I don't have it in my notes, it's not on the screen. He says in Revelation, you can read it later. He says, I would rather you be cold or hot. I would rather you be in or out. But if you are lukewarm, if you're just kind of in the middle and you're undecided, I will spit you out of my mouth. Amen. You know why this part's so serious? You know why Jesus gets so serious? Because he understands this has to do with eternity. Eternity. Forever. And so he's saying, I need you to be all in. I want to finish this morning with a story. Stay with me. It's a little bit long, but it's powerful. How many have ever eaten or drank ice cream or milk or sour cream or anything from Borden? If you've at least heard of the company. It's been around for hundreds of years. Super powerful, big-time company of milk and milk products. The Borden Company, Borden Family, sorry. This, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Let me tell you about this man named William Borden, who was a son 
of the Borden family that founded the Borden Company. Graduated from high school in 1904. And as an heir to the Borden's family fortune, you can imagine, he was already very wealthy. For a high school graduation present, his parents sent him at 16 years old on a trip around the world. That's a pretty, pretty expensive graduation from high school gift. You can imagine what it would cost to be on boats and you know, all those things at that time all around the world. And he went to Asia and, and, and the Middle East and Europe. And as he goes on this trip, this is a, there's a biography about him that begins to tell, and an autobiography that begins to tell that he had a growing burden for the world's hurting people. And finally, he wrote home to his family from the other side of the world, and he said, I have a desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed disbelief that Bill, they would call him in love, was throwing himself away as a missionary. You know that some of your family members and your friends will tell you you're throwing your life away for Jesus? How many know that's wrong? When you, but Jesus actually said, when you throw away your life for me, you gain it. He who keeps his life will lose it. Has anybody come to realize that serving God is totally the exact opposite of how the world functions? Totally. He wants us to give our lives so we can have eternal life. He wants us to die so we can live. He's throwing his life away, they said. And often, a story often associated with William Borden was that he wrote two words in the back of his Bible called No Reserves. Even though young Borden was very wealthy, he arrived on the campus of Yale University. How many have heard of Yale? Slightly prestigious university. In 1905, and even though he was very wealthy, he tried to fit in and look like every other freshman. Very quickly, Borden's classmates noticed there was something different about him. He had come to college far ahead of everybody else. He was spiritually and maturely above everybody else. He had already given his heart, fully surrendered to, to Christ, and he had really, really done it. His classmates began to learn that they could lean on him for strength. He was solid as a rock and he, because of his settled purpose and consecration to the Lord. During his college years, he made an entry in his personal journey that says, Say no to self. And yes to Jesus every time. I mean, that's a good way to live. Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. As he went to school, he became disappointed at the university and how they were doing things. Because it was a Christian university. I know some people don't know that. Yale started off as a very, very Christian university. They still have some, some, some ideology, but it was actually a very strong Christian university that would send missionaries around the world. And he said, we have lost our way and our purpose, and now we're just an empty, humanistic philosophy, philosophy school with moral weakness and sin-ruined lives. And during his first semester at Yale, he says, I've got to do something. And he began to say, I've got to do something that's going to transform people's lives. And one of his friends says, it was on his first term, they would pray together. Him and another friend would get together and pray every morning. And then a third person joined them. And they would talk about Scripture, and they would talk about the Lord, and He would help them. They would pray for God's provision and, 
and, and assured his prom promises for them. And that small prayer meeting, listen to this, gave birth to a movement that soon spread across the campus of Yale. By the end of the first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer with William Borden. And this is crazy. By the time he was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in prayer groups. Borden made it his habit to seek the most difficult students and try to bring them to salvation. In his sophomore year, they organized Bible studies and divided the groups up. And they would go over one by one. They would pull out a name of somebody in the school who was a tough person, a tough uh, uh, person to reach. And they begin to say, who wants this guy? Or who wants this girl? And nobody would raise their hand because they were difficult people. And after a silence, they said, Bill's verse, voice would always be heard. And he'd say, give that one to me. Borden's outreach ministry was not confined to the Yale campus. He cared about widows and orphans and the disabled. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven, tried to re rehabilitate them, and founded a mission called Yale Hope Mission. One of Bill Borden's friends wrote that you would often find him in the lower parts of the city at night, in the streets, in a cheap lodging house or some restaurant because he had taken some poor, hungry person to feed them and tell them about Jesus. Borden's missionary call grew and he began to be called to the Muslim people of China. Fixing his eyes on that goal, Borden never wavered. He challenged his classmates to consider being missionaries. One of them said, he certainly was one of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. He had backbone that none of us could even compare to. There was iron in him. And I always felt that he was the stuff of martyr, what martyrs were made of. And finally, as I begin to close this story, it says he was, although he was a millionaire, Bill seemed to realize that he must be about his father's business. Not wasting time in the pursuit of amusement. And Borden refused to join, as Borden refused to join a fraternity, his senior year he did more with his classmates than he's ever done before. He presided over the huge student missionary conference held at Yale and served as the president of Phi Beta Kappa. Listen to this. As prong graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. And it's, been reported in his, it's reported in his Bible that at this time, Bill Borden wrote two more words. No retreats. So you've got no... No... Uh, what was the first one I said? Thank you. No reserves, no retreats. William Borden went on to graduate at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. Where he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China. Because he was hoping to work with Muslims, listen to this, he stopped first in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within one month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. When the, when the news of William Whiting Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went through the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but he gave away himself in such a joyous and natural way that it almost seemed a privilege to him that he could sacrifice. And his last words in his Bible, after no reserves and no retreats, 
was no regrets. How many know that's a life lived unto the Lord? This is a man just like the man in the story of the rich young ruler. Exactly the same story. But this man understood what eternity was. This man understood that his money was something that he could use to reach people. It was not a God to him. We've always said, church, you can have things if things don't have you. As long as you use the things that you have to bring glory to the, to, to the name of Jesus Christ and you use it for people to see that God is real, it's okay to have things. But what happens when God begins to call you, and I believe He's calling all of us this morning, to do more. To do more. There's people out there outside of this church right now on this Sunday that need to hear your testimony. There's people who are headed in the wrong direction right now and they need someone to turn them in the right direction. It's not going to happen if you don't open your mouth and listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. I want you to think about this last thing. One thing that's awesome about God. As hard as He is as what, in what He expects, He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. Amen? How many believe that? He, he put, he put the, the, amen, let's give the Lord a hand. He's a promise keeper. He will keep his promises. We fail. We lie. We don't follow through. Jesus doesn't ever do that. You can take his words to the bank. You know what we need to start to do? We need to start believing more what Jesus says and less what the world says. Less what anybody says. We need to focus on his words because his words are life. He says, I want you to follow me. I want you to deny yourself. I want you to take up your cross. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for me will find it. It's crazy. It's totally different than what the world says. But here's a promise. A, ma a powerful promise in Matthew chapter 19. Everyone. Everyone. Not somebody, but everyone who has given up houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or property, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return, and will inherit eternal life. What a promise, amen? A hundred times more, and eternal life. This world, you know, a couple weeks ago I preached, it's our fault. This world would be different if all of us would just answer the call. And all of us would realize we can make a difference. But we have to get the attitude that I'm not going back to my old ways. I'm not going back. I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a jailhouse religion. This isn't a jailhouse decision. I'm going to serve you as long as if, or I'm going to serve you until we need to die today to ourselves we need to die on the altar of God and say Lord I'm not looking back I'm going forward I promise you church whatever the Lord asks from you he always has something better in return I've got almost 30 years to tell you that that I've never ever seen God fail never would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning Holy Spirit I know that you're here and I know you're speaking to hearts. What is more important this morning than knowing where we're going to spend eternity? What is more important this morning 
than answering the call of God upon our life. All across this place, there's so much talent here. There's so much finances here. There's so much prosperity. There's so much joy. There's so much ability. There's so many people who can reach so many people. All they got to do is say yes. Today, you're that rich young ruler, maybe. Maybe it's not about money, but you're that man that Jesus is saying, the way you inherit eternal life is you give everything to me. And God is knocking on the heart of your, door of your heart right now, and he's saying, let me come in. Let me come in. There's a void in your life right now. There's a void in your heart. I can fill it. And he says, you're going to keep trying with relationships. You're going to keep trying with all these other things. I'm the only one that can fill that void. Stop wasting your time. Open your heart to me. Let me come in. Let me be Lord and Master. God says, I've already walked the path of your life. I already know everything that's going to happen. Let me guide you. It's not blind faith. It's knowing that he's a God who's seen it all. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows your past. You say, oh, I've made too many mistakes. He knows your past. He didn't ask any of the disciples, go fix your past and then come follow me. He said, follow me. He wasn't talking about yesterday or the day before or months before or years before. He was talking about that day. He knew they were messed up. He's the one that chose them. Matter of fact, he chose some of the most messed up people you could find. So if you're messed up in here this morning, you're in a good place. You're in a position for Jesus to use you. Because he's not looking for people that have it all together. He's looking for people that are willing to give their lives to the Lord and let him use them. All across this place, how many with honest hearts as the Holy Spirit is here and he's dealing with us? How many could be honest with God and say, you know, I don't know today if I would go to heaven if I died. I don't know where I'll go. I'm not sure. If there's any doubt this morning, you don't have to have doubt. Because my Bible tells me that Jesus made a way. That Jesus went and defeated death so that you could live forever if you put your faith in Him. Today is the day of your salvation. You that's watching online, you that's sitting in this church service, you're not here by chance. You're here because God ordained that you'd be here. He has a plan for your life. How many in this place this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, could say, I need Jesus to come into my life. Just lift your hand up. Put it right back down. All over this place. I see your hand. How many more? I see your hand. How many more? Honest hearts, I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. How many more? I'm not asking you to be a member of our church. I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus. There'll be no church memberships in heaven. There'll be no Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal or non-denominational. There'll be people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He said, he who believes in me, though he were dead, he shall live. How many more this morning? You're, you're, you're not sure. I want you to leave this place this morning and die in your sin and not know where, where you're going. I want you to know. God wants you to know. Maybe you're here and at some point in your life you said that prayer, but today you're running from God. 
You're living a life of sin. You, you're making mistakes. You're, si you're repeatedly sinning over and over, and you know it's wrong. You're playing with God. You're playing with, with eternity. Today, you want to get it right, and you want to repent. Just lift your hand and say, that's me. Pray for me today, Pastor. I see your hands. I see your hands. Amen. It's serious. I see your hand. God bless you. Bible says he would leave the 99 and go, go get the one. Let today be the day. Let today be the day that you don't look back to your past ever again and you go forward. Let's stand to our feet if you would. And I want to quickly ask you if you meant business for either one of those prayers. If you were serious. I think we've seen in the scriptures how serious God is about us. And, 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 you know, I get, a, I get a game face when I get up here. I'm the same way when I used to play basketball. And you get in a game, you have a game face. I get serious up here. I have fun. I like to joke. I like to have fun. But when I get up here and I talk about the things of God, I get serious because I know that people's eternities are hanging in the balance. And so I'm serious this morning about you. And God is serious about you this morning. If you're serious about your decision, tell him this morning. Make it, make it clear to everybody in God that you are changing today, that you're putting your faith in Jesus. I feel there's some people here that still didn't, you didn't raise your hand, but you know today, God, you don't even understand maybe everything, but you understand right now that God is calling. You feel something in your heart, and you need to make a change. And you, don't, you don't know how it's going to go or what's going to happen, but God's going to do something if you'll just trust Him. If you raise your hand, all over this place for either one of those things. I want to ask you to just find that nearest aisle and come down here quickly. I want to pray for you. All over this place, just come. Amen. Just find that aisle. Come down. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. Come on. There was more hands that went up. Come on. Let's keep clapping. Let's keep, let's keep cheering them on as they come. Amen. How many more? Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but if you died today, you don't know where you'd go. Amen. We're going to pray for you this morning. Amen. Those that are watching online, we're going to say this together. He sees the decision this morning. Amen? He sees the decision, and he sees it from our hearts. Today's the beginning of a new day. His mercies are new every morning. I want everybody online, maybe you raised your hand or you need to be saved. We can't see you, but God sees you. We're all going to say this prayer together. It's a real prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy and all your grace. It's the reason I'm here. I'm not worthy of your forgiveness or your love, but you love me anyways. Your word says, while I was a sinner, you still died for me. You came and died for the ungodly. I put my faith in you. What you did on the cross, I believe you died on that cross after you lived a perfect life. And then you defeated death when you rose from the grave. I believe that. Not only with my mouth, but with my heart. I confess that you are Lord. And I ask you today to change me. To change the way I think and act and walk and live. Help me live like you. I surrender everything. I'm turning to you today. And I'm asking you to write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Please forgive me for all of my sins and wash me clean. 
with your precious blood. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord some praise for these decisions?